Welcome, Kate Nichols from UKH and James Lohman from ACS for this special version of Hospitality Stroke Convenience Talks. Thank you so much for joining me on this joint vlog. Um, we've obviously spoken before separately, but we thought there'd be a really good idea to get the two different industry um, views of the current corona situation. Um, most people, I would imagine 99% of people know who both of you are, but do you just want to just do a quick introduction as to who you are, what you do and what your uh, membership organisation is focusing on at the moment. Kate, should we go for ladies first? Okay, uh, I'm Kate Nichols, I'm Chief Executive at UK Hospitality. So we are the national trade body for hospitality businesses. We represent about 85,000 outlets across the UK, pubs, bars, coffee shops, restaurants, hotels, the, the spectrum from a single site operator through to the national chains. Our main focuses at the moment um, are people, property and access to finance um, and making sure that the government delivers the promises that they've made in those three areas at pace and at scale because it's still happening too slowly um, and making sure that we get the support and the liquidity back into the, the supply chain that will help us to sustain the businesses, protect jobs and come out the other side crucially ready to restart the economy. Brilliant, thank you very much. James. Hello. Um, so I'm James Lohman, I'm Chief Executive of Association, ACS, Association of Convenience Stores. Um, and yeah, at the moment I tell you represent actually a similar, a similar depth, if you like, of businesses. So some very, some quite big businesses um, running lots of shops, supplying lots of shops, but then some small businesses running literally one shop. Probably not the same breadth of businesses that Kate has, um, whereas we, we are more focused on you know, really just, just convenience stores. That's quite a broad term in itself. There's 46,000 of them and some of them are in actually I'm sure we'll come to talk about it. Um, some are in cities, central forecourts, transport houses. Most of them are in villages, housing estates, so secondary parades, neighbourhood areas. And that's really the core. And, you know, convenience stores are the general store. We don't spend a lot of time worrying about pointing at people saying, you are not a convenience store. You can, they tend not to do a lot of that. But, you know, there, there's it's, it's just that general store that's generally open long hours and um, sells, sells a range of stuff. At the moment, I, I need to think of three things because Kate really... Um, succinctly put three things that they're, they're focused on. I mean, certainly, so so support through things like business rate support that's come through, um, supply and products, actually trying to make sure that um, the product is coming through into our sector because actually we're the sector that is sustaining its growth and it's, it's over-trading for longer at the moment. So we know, what was it, 10th of April today? So we'll see how that develops. Uh, and actually, Kate mentions well, people, you know, I think just I, I'm just astonished by how they're just constantly amazed by how brilliant the people who work in our sector are. You know, all the messages are about you've got to stay at home, don't leave out. And yet here are thousands and thousands of people turning up to work, um, you know, working with the public, providing these great services. And actually, when they're, they're, we do have absence in our sector. There is absence in the supply chain. Honestly, it's far less than I expected it to be. I think it's amazing how people are continuing to uh, turn up and do a great job. Mm. Thank you. Thanks for those introductions. Now, I really want to start by talking about collaboration, because one of the reasons that I asked both of you guys to come on hospitality slash convenience talks is because we're in a massive, you know, the dichotomy between the two industries is, is you know, is palpable. I mean, you've on the one hand, you've got hospitality that's pretty much in total lockdown, apart from the delivery and helping the vulnerable people. On the other hand, you've got convenience that is being pushed to its limits with what it can and, and can't deliver. Um, where do you see, I mean, obviously we're seeing pubs switching to, to selling grocery goods. We're seeing grocery retailers doing food service. 
where do you see this collaboration going and what, what examples have you seen so far that, that have been good for both industries? Who wants to start, Neil? Well, I, I think the basis and the genesis of the collaboration is because fundamentally the same rooted in their communities. They are there to provide a service to their communities. And both of those um, segments of the economy have evolved over many years to provide the service that the, the local community needs and the local neighbourhood needs. So my grandfather ran a village shop. They sold uh, beer for off sales. They had a, a place where you could sit at the bar, food takeaway and all sorts of things. So there's nothing new under the sun. And I think also it's in the, it's in the nature of the name um, you know, it, hospitality businesses are not selling food and drink. They're selling experiences and they're selling hospitality. Convenience stores are not retailers. They're selling convenience. That's what our customers are both buying into. And there is a clear overlap there between what services can you provide in terms of convenience, hospitality, in terms of how you deliver, as well as what you're delivering in terms of product. Um, and you've always had village pubs and uh, pub is the hub type projects that are selling and providing services and equally hospitality businesses. The pub, which is the core of what we're really talking about here in terms of what are they offering? It is really the pub or the village inn, which might have rooms too. And the convenience store are sort of, they abhor a vacuum where somebody else steps away from it. Somebody, they step in to provide the gap and to, to meet the needs. And it's because fundamentally what they are about is meeting the needs, not selling commodities. So it's not stack and sell in either of those cases. It is about meeting the needs of the communities in which they are rooted. Mm -hmm. James, your thoughts? Yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely, I agree exactly what Kate said. I think what's interesting is before, even before this, we were seeing all of that sort of merging happening. You know, I didn't know about Kate's granddad, but I do know a guy in um, Devon Cornwall border, guy we featured a few times, Dan. So you go and you have a post office, convenience store, cafe and pub doing Sunday roasts and in one, so you've got one cost base, one operation offering all of those different things. Obviously it peaks at different parts, it peaks at different times of the day, um, the different types of customers. And what struck me, this wasn't what I would term as David Cameron Cornwall, this was like a ribbon village on the edge, you know, on Devon Cornwall border, where it's a very nice place. You wouldn't get a lot of tourism trade there. You wouldn't get a lot of um, people coming in. It was very much about that village. It's quite a sort of discrete unit. So, and, and equally, there are examples the other way around as well. The pub, you know, Kate's talked about some of those, obviously community-owned stores and community-owned pubs. And there's a, there's a merging between those things as well. So pubs that have offered a broader range of things as well. So I think this is sort of happening anyway. And... That some, sometimes those those businesses and those services evolve over a period of time. So, you know, generally what's happened is it's always a little bit slightly sort of Dixon Doc Green view of the world. It probably never never quite like this. But you might have had a parade which had a specialist post office, off license, news agents, bakery, and in a very disorganized higgledy piggledy way when people have retired or sold up or knocked through or leases have come up, whatever it is they've ended up merging into fewer stores and often it's one convenience store that offers all of those things and actually what's happened here is that's just that process it's just sort of accelerated it's a really mm. short period of time people sort of said well there's a need now isn't there exactly as Kate says it's about meeting that need at the time but that need has sort of unfurled itself really quickly it's like blimey this is we've got to you know now there's an opportunity for a pub to offer you know groceries there's an opportunity for a, a, a shop to you know to offer other sort of delivery services and things like that. And, and what the thing that fundamentally comes back to is that location and that reach. So one of the things that 
you know, we always say is that there's probably no sector in the in British business, never mind in, in retail, no sector in British business that has the reach into communities that our sector does. Because actually there's 46,000 stores, 80% of them either on their own or on a small parade. So they're not in a big, some are in big city centres, we'll come probably talk about that, different stores in different locations, but most of them are, part of, are, are either anchoring a very limited service provision or are the only thing and that's in villages, housing estates, secondary parades that generally don't have those services. And if there mm. was another sector that had the same reach, I'm not going to argue about it, I don't know, it's, it's probably about the same. It would be those sorts of, those, those, those two sectors are the ones that have the most reach, most reach into most communities. It's yeah. about the store, total store numbers, it's about the locations and how dispersed they are into those different places. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think James is absolutely right. And you know, if you if you leave aside the town centre, because that's that's a very different perspective on what's happening at the moment in the coronavirus. They are ones that are in tertiary, they're in neighbourhood locations, they are serving a community that is predominantly walking or at, at most driving, but at the moment predominantly walking towards picking up stuff from those from those um, outlets and premises. Uh, those are the ones that are finding that they can do this crossover and it isn't going to work for everybody and it isn't going to be right for everybody. But the ones that can do it, it's it's where you've got that crossover and you have got that reach into the community and you're rooted there because you've then got a footfall that is going past your door on a regular enough basis. Um, and I think probably what all has also happened is you've had the accelerant of a crisis where your normal business has changed or cut down or in, in James's case where it's it's exploded in a different area and you're having to supply a product that you wouldn't normally supply um, or a different style of product that you wouldn't normally supply um, and you've got that accelerant of jumping across into a, a different area um, and you've got suppliers who are reaching out to make it easier for you to do that as who are now reaching out actively to the pubs to say you know what we can supply you with a grocery store they wouldn't have thought about doing that or it's the deliveroos who are reaching out and saying, well, we can provide this solution for the, the convenience store. I haven't yet come across any any examples, but I would have thought that somewhere out there, there's probably a pub and a convenience store who've joined up um, mm -hmm. and the pub's providing the food and the, the convenience store is doing click and collect. If they're not, somebody ought to do it pretty rapidly because that to me seems a logical um, extension of this where you won't get the people coming to the pub, but you might get them coming next door. Yeah, you've got a kitchen facility there that you could repurpose. Yeah, yeah. And also, so it's re redeploying people. That's, that's something that has happened, you know. And what yeah. it's going to make a few weeks. And it's funny, it has, hasn't quite panned out like this, but it has happened, just not probably to the extent that I'd expected it might. But one of the things we're saying to members is, look, if, you've, if there's a pub down the road that's had to close and furlough its workers and so on, say to them, who are your best people? Do they want Do they want a job? Now, one of the reasons it hasn't happened so quickly is because it took a while for that confirmation to come through that you could be furloughed and do another job, which yeah. I was read as being the intention, but it took a while to be confirmed. But so, um, so, so what we have that, so you've got, you've got people who previously have worked in pubs and restaurants and hotels and airlines taking so different sectors and all that sort of stuff who are now working in shops and the areas that are seeing that explosion. So it sort of balances out between the areas that have obviously had their trade massively decline overnight and those who've seen a very significant increase. So yeah, it's happening with, with the services offered and also with the people who are, physically there in those stores doing those things. Mm -hmm. And you spoke about supply just now, um, Kate, and it's been very interesting. You know, we've, we've watched people like Bid Food and Breaks who are normally competitors, but they're, they're linking up in order to make sure they're getting the right stock out to people. 
Do you think, and, and of course we know as well, consumers, when they go from store to store or pub to store to cinema to whatever it is, we know that they are not, you know, that their behaviours are very fluid. They are shopping or they're going places because of a need, not because they think they're visiting specific channels. Do you think that that blurring of channels is going to continue? Do you think that it's going to be exacerbated by this situation and we're going to see more of it um, when we get out the other side of this? I, I think it depends on how long this lasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the longer it lasts, it takes six weeks to create a habit. If the, the longer this lasts, the more likely you are to see consumer behaviours change and to get used to the fact that they can pick up some eggs and some salads and some uh, vegetables at, at their local pub. Mm-hmm. Um, if their local pub is in the right kind of area and it, and it works. Ditto, I think, in terms of hot food takeaway, if that's what convenience store does um, and people going back to their convenience stores rather than using sort of a big supermarket. I think people will be encouraged to shop locally more um, and will get back into the habit of doing a little bit as a top up shop. Um, I think, to be honest, because of the nature of the independent sector that both both sides represent, it is going to depend on the suppliers having the will and continuing to maintain that. At the moment, the suppliers have got a vested interest in doing it because they've got excess stock from hospitality that they're trying desperately to get rid of. You know, not to put too fine a point on it, you've got a massive section of the market that they're normally supplying and they're sitting on stock and how bound. So at the moment, there's a a social interest for them in doing it. You know, yes, there is a a community aspect, um, but I'd like to think it continues because I think our local communities will be better off as a result. And I certainly think it works for the um, independent pub sector where they are always looking at an, another revenue stream and another area of support that they can provide to root people more firmly in their, in their with their local and to think more positively about their local. Um, one of the things that would help is, I think, if you had some incentives to encourage it to continue, either from government um, or local authorities, I think there is in both sections of, of uh, the area that we represent, there's a sort of community good that doesn't get valued as an, as part of your asset. And I, and I think that there's something positive that could come out of this, that you could say that this kind of community service where you're providing something that is not just commercial, there could be an added value that you get assessed for your, for your asset. So you're not just looked at in terms of cold, hard cash, but you might get scope for some, some greater support from your local authority going forward. One of the things that's definitely going to come out of this is that you've got reform of business rates. You're probably going to get reform of tax law. You're probably going to have reform of landlord and tenant. It would be good to get some good that came out of those reforms that incentivized community businesses. Okay. James, your thoughts on this continuing and, and either accelerating or slowing down when we come out the other side? Yeah, so I'll, pick, I'll pick up Kate's um, final point next, because one of the things that's going to determine to what extent we continue to see businesses change and develop, and I say it's happened already, but I would say it's accelerated in recent mm. weeks. And I think that one of those factors, actually, I think the business rate system is a really good example of this. So the thing that we've gone about all the time is that the business rate system should act as, should should include incentives for businesses to change and invest, whereas actually now it includes disincentives to do that so if you bring in new features into your store they then get separately rated it's like you know you 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 add in new features to it and so in pubs it's even more so because it's done on basis of turnover or how much beer you sell and the rest is separate to the system and and i'm not you can get very specific and I, i'm not getting into like formally ad, ad, uh, advocating a land value tax but 
the principle surely should be that you've you've taken the risk to take on operating from that premises. That premises has a value no matter what you do to it. You you're wrong. You might you know you might think there's a demand in your in a pub and a, a bar and a cocktail mixing school and it might go horribly wrong and that's your risk. But then if you if you do it if you succeed in doing that you should be you shouldn't be punished for that by having your business rates bill go up. So I think that's a really important principle. And hopefully, and we've been trying to make this point, as Kate has and lots of other groups have for a long time, but you know, the business rate system and generally business policy should be about encouraging businesses to invest and take risks and, and, to, and to, to back themselves. And this period of time, I think, has shown just how important that is. Because these things aren't happening because government's told us to do them. I mean, we've been on, Kate and I've been on loads of calls with government and you know, been very, you know, been getting stuck in and trying to help as much as they can. So I'm not criticising them at all. But government isn't doing this. Government isn't saying, oh, we're going to set up distribution from a pub. Government isn't saying, oh, we're going to, um, you know, sort out delivery from a shop. This is all being done by individual businesses backed by us and UKH and other organisations as best we can. So that's the dynamic. So you've got to try and just help those businesses to do that. And the system doesn't work like that. In terms of how does it matter long term, in case absolutely right, habits form over a period of time. And, you know, I, I wonder if, you know, what will one of the reactions to the bit to this be that when when all this is over, which I love that phrase, because what, what does that actually mean when all this is over? But when the winter period restrictions get lifted to a large extent, I mean, maybe people will just say, right, that's it. I'm going to the pub every day for the next three months because I just, you know, desperate to go to the pub. <laughs> or will people say, you know, whenever I look at any company, I'm just going to, every week I'm going to go to Brecon Beacons or the Yorkshire Dales and spend a week weekend out doing stuff that I couldn't do. Now, maybe I probably won't do that, of course, and say that's it. But so how it doesn't necessarily, there could almost be a counter to it that people do the opposite of what they've done now because they want to change from what's been quite an anxious period of time. So it doesn't follow them necessarily do it. But I do think that regardless of those individual habits, people will definitely remember the businesses that stepped up and, yeah. and helped their communities. And so on that basis, there'll be probably more support for businesses that then want to change and they'll be able to make it. They are doing this, but they'll be able to it'll be easier for them to demonstrate that they're taking those risks and making those changes to try to improve the service offer in that community. And I think they'll probably be a bit more buy into that from the local community. So I think I think some things will remain. Of course, there's always there's, there's already been a longstanding move towards well, two things, really. One is the way people eat and you know shop in that things have benefited Kate's members and our members overall in the round, which is more little and often shopping. That's a 20 year trend and more eating out, which is a 20 year plus trend. Mm. So I think that will continue to happen. Um, but, it, you know, the shape of that might get slightly interrupted. But I suspect that's still the direction of travel because that's uh, that people doing that. That's, that's how they want to live. So they're going to continue to want to live like that. Maybe say, maybe even more so because they yeah. want to use the freedom they've got to appreciate their freedom to go out and go to the pub and go walk. Yeah. I suspect the thing that will take longest to come back is going back into town centres yeah. and large venue spaces. So I think that that is what people will will when they when the restrictions are lifted. I think people will still tend to go local, or as James said, they'll they'll explore and do tourism. But I think that is still local retail and local hospitality in a different part of the country. But I I do think it will take longer to go back into those big shopping malls or town centres uh, and, and I suspect it'll be hard to get people back into um, concert halls other than uh, nightclubs where I think the young think they're invincible so they'll probably go straight back to clubbing um, but, but, but I think that that sort of big space 
socialising will, will be hard to do. Um, and I think the other thing that's really quite interesting is, as James said, government hasn't given permission to do this or incentivised or encouraged. It's just happened organically um, because both sectors are characterised by a high proportion of entrepreneurs. Um, so entrepreneurs, again, do what entrepreneurs do best. If you've shut down one of my revenue streams, I'm going to go and look, look for another. I think one one of the lasting legacies will be that um, a lot of businesses making decisions at pace to deal with their teams, their business model, their property will be in a position of asking forgiveness after the event rather than permission before. And I think that that might carry through as well as we look towards the recovery that I think government isn't going to sort of suddenly come back down and clamp down on things. So we might move towards a more permissive approach, to which would be good. Would be. You both um, you both mentioned employees um, in in the last few minutes, and and actually, I think one of the effects of the coronavirus has been that how businesses are treating their employees and their teams and their colleagues and their staff and however you refer to them has really come under the spotlight very much so. And I think you know whether you're in a hospitality business and you're looking at whether you're furloughing and whether you're topping up wages, or if you're in a convenience business and you're looking at how you protect your staff from the fact that they're actually on the front line of working um, with people who could or could not be spreading this virus. What do you think the long-term effects of that might be on the industry, on how we, we look after our colleagues and, and our staff members? Well, I think it's, as a society, I think it's a bigger point rather than just as the industry. As a society, we have realised how much we depend upon a vast swathe of the population who have previously been categorised as being low-skill and low-value jobs. Um, and that has really come to the fore that we rely on these people. We've had businesses and we've had various departments championing them as being the unsung heroes and something like which businesses and the chancellor when we're all going to be judged by how we get come through this. Um, there has been a real heroes and villains feel, um, sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly to how businesses are dealing with this um, and you, you still have to do some correction work around um, uh, some of the, 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 the businesses in the sector that are getting unfairly criticised either for not opening or opening or not looking after their staff or you know when partly it's because government hasn't given us the tools to be able to do that in the case of some of the hospitality businesses um, and I do think there's a danger that that government falls into that trap of using business as a human shield, uh, that it's business's fault that somebody is working or it's business's fault that somebody hasn't been paid. We need to be alert to making sure that that doesn't come through. Uh, but I, I think that that's the one that the broader societal re-evaluation of jobs in our sector and how important our sectors are at keeping the economy going and keeping local communities going um, is something that politicians will forget at their peril. James, what do you what do, what do you think then about employees within the convenience industry? Are they going to be more valued before? You know, I mean, even things like putting the screens up and all of this, all the safety procedures that are now happening in in stores. You know, where do we stand with with your industry? I think it's, it's hard to know how it's going to play. To be honest, I think you know, and I'd love love to say, oh yeah, you know, now everyone's realised that this, you know, these the people working in service industries are incredibly important, and no one recognised that before. Um, I'm probably a bit more cynical than that, unfortunately. I think that when things go back to, back to normal, again, using that phrase, I think, um, you know, I'm not sure people actually will recognise that. I think people, again, take it for granted. And, and you've got to you've got to set this against, you know, examples of 
and this this is varies from one or two people, but examples of abuse, um, you know, violence and threats and these sorts of things that are happening to people in stores as well. So, you know, it's not all one way, but I think, yeah, overall the society, I think there is greater recognition of the value of these businesses and the people that work in them. As I, I personally am, you know, I'm just blown away by sex because you know, three or four weeks, the assumption was that we'd be at massive levels of absence at the moment and we wouldn't be able to run our businesses all through the food supply chain. And that hasn't happened so far. I mean, I worry that with the prime minister obviously being very ill at the moment, that that might, one of the things that might do is is get people to be more reluctant to come into work and, and so on. So, but, you know, generally, I think that the number, the proportion of people who are coming into work and doing the job and I think it's just fantastic. And I think that's a real tribute to them, actually, and to the businesses, to them who, who've chosen to do that. Um, and I think maybe there'll be a bit of, I mean, our sector already invests a lot in security and all that. We're likely to still be paying the types of wages we pay. That's the economic model. I don't see that sort of drastically change overnight. I don't think we'll be in a position to do that. But I think there might be a bit of a, a re-evaluation, re-evaluation of the overall support that we give to people um, working in the sector and, and this sort of balance of promoting them as people and as as roles um, and, and backing that up with a bit more investment in them. So I think that that might come through. It's only every retailer I speak to, I mean, they knew this anyway because it's the nature of the business, but, you know, it's all about the, what, what the main thing they're talking about is how they're supporting their colleagues through this. And mm. they do all the time anyway, but I think that's it just raised mm. up again as another as a, a level of recognition of those people. We will have, you know, more of a fuss made of comes to awards ceremonies that, you know, it's not always about the big businesses or the best supplier or how about the people on the front line? Should we celebrate those people more? Yeah. Yeah. Also, it's about the communities also, and serving communities, but obviously people working in households, they in pubs and stuff, they live in that community. I mean, most people, most people who work in the community store walk to work. Mm. Uh, most customers walk to the store. So, you know, it's, um, it, you know, it's very much that they are part of that local community. So, you know, I think that's, that sort of benefits everyone, benefits customers, benefits the colleagues, benefits the, the businesses as well. And hopefully recognise that a bit more as well. Yeah. And I think that I was just going to make the same point about the community benefit. It's that circular economy and it's about the charitable giving within the community, whether it's formally charitable giving where they do the fundraising. But an awful lot of our sector, they're running some of these things sub-economically because they want to provide a service to their community or the amount of voluntary work that's been done, particularly to support the homeless. We've seen some really, really great um, ideas coming through from people like Harry, who have, who have got, you know, hospitality workers can now go on to a certain site um, that they've created to look for jobs within the grocery industry, you know, because obviously one one requires um, help from the other and they've both got very similar, similar necessary skills. Um, you know, a couple of months ago that we were talking about, I was standing up on stage at conferences talking about the experience economy, haha, you know, and that has now been, it been decimated. It's not, it's not about going out now for an experience, but it's about staying in. How does that pan out for, first of all, how is technology helping to deal with the current situation in grocery retail? And then how does that pan out the hospitality industry after all of this? Do you want to go first, James, to talk about yeah. grocery? Yeah, so um, it's, it's a really interesting, interesting question. I mean, obviously, there's the, the way people just working day to day um, was obviously changing and everyone's having to get used to this. This is working very well so far. Not, not unlike many of my people so um you know so i think people, people it's pretty mainstream just because people are making decisions working this way a bit more uh, that's we've got two views contradictory views on this um 
So the, the, the first is that people probably will recognize, we talked a lot about local and community, but probably greater recognition of the importance of connecting outside of that. I mean, we've had so much more engagement, I'm sure Kate has as well, and other organizations with, with our social media, with our communications is what we're saying, just because people need to, you know, be quite a lonely business working mm. in that, you know, solely in that community. So making more connections with people, you know, from, um, from, from the sector, from outside of that. So I think there'll be more of a recognition of need to, to sort of um, reach out. What's it, a few things have happened though, which have shown some of the limitations. Um, because rightly, manufacturers are focusing their production on their core lines, their best-selling lines, their best-selling pack sizes. Because their, their data systems then work off the sales history is on those particular SKUs that they've been selling. Or because those, though their best-selling SKUs are the ones that are sold in supermarkets, when they look at their sales history, the sales inconvenience and in independent wholesale is really low because they're not ordering those packs. They're ordering price mark. Colleague management systems and rotors and stuff like that. It's become very mainstream in the last couple of years, where perhaps they've been, they've been existed for probably a decade, but the last couple of years they've become much more mainstream in our sector at least. But just the one caveat is we've also seen some ways in which that data-driven um, economy doesn't work. And actually, it's shown, shown one or two weaknesses. But yeah, I think it will continue that movement, mostly because senior management are now having to use tech much, much more. So they're pretty just aware of possibilities. Okay. Kate, how does the lack of experience economy and increase in tech usage sit with the hospitality industry for the future? Well, I really been quite interesting looking across the spread of businesses that that we've got some of our businesses were quite heavily using tech to engage and talk to their teams so you know there's a lot of use of yapster there's a lot of use of um, platforms and facebook for business to communicate to a multi-site uh, uh, team base that's that's very disparate um and you look at some of the newer companies in our sector like new world trading company and alchemist who are really very good at that um, the I would say the legacy brands less good at that um, and still very based on face to face. And if you move into the traditional part of hospitality, particularly hotels, they have no idea. And they were sort of starting from scratch about how on earth do I communicate with my team that I've furloughed? So a lot of those those big hotel groups haven't needed to. They can rely upon team briefings. They can rely upon verbal. They haven't needed to make that investment. They were talking about, did they, as part of furlough, did they have to physically switch off people's emails because the rules said you weren't allowed to work for your, your boss um, and you weren't allowed to work for your company. And so they've used tech quite well to start to have that ongoing dialogue with team members on a daily basis. Um, and I think that that's a positive result that will get carried forward. In terms of the experience economy, I'm not sure that it will necessarily replace it. I think there will be a, a, a time lag. But if you look at what we've all done, as soon as we've been working from home, I don't think any of us, even the most tech savvy, were using Teams and Zoom. Um, occasionally we were using Skype, but usually that was to do with um, make, doing broadcasts. So James and I have probably done Skype calls a lot when you're doing uh, journalist queries. Nobody really in the business world was using any of these tools. Actually, it's very, very rapid that we've moved from conference calls to Zoom because we like to see people's faces and we like to see people's reactions and we like to interact and we don't like that um, lack of immediacy that comes from being a voice on the end of a telephone where we can't tell who's going to jump in and we know who wants to speak and we can't raise our hands 
Um, yeah. So I think, you know, that to me, the more I do these these sort of video calls and video meetings, the more that says to me, we are going to go back to our human interactions because we like human interactions. Mm. Yes, we probably have realised that there's a lot of unnecessary meetings that we could do with a phone call. But actually, when we can replace them with a phone call, we rapidly find a way of doing something that is joining us all together and is not just a voice. We could have done this as a podcast. Clearly, mm. people like seeing people. Um, and the, the longer we go, the more we're trying to do that. It has been very funny seeing some of the James's point about the, the sort of directors of the business who were probably not as tech savvy. I have found it incredibly funny seeing some of them put, try and work their way through the technology. Um, mm -hmm. I did a, a hosted a Zoom call for our, our board um, at the end of last week and said, you know, if you want to jump in, because there's 30 of you for our advice, jump in, click the button to raise your hand. And the amount of little people sitting in little boxes going like this and hadn't realised there's a button to do it uh, was very funny. But it does show that the immediacy of human reaction is what we are all missing. And you can see that every week when we go out to clap for the NHS. Yes, we're wanting to clap for the NHS and we're wanting to show our support. But at that moment, you all come out of your houses. You have been socially isolated and you can say hello at a safe distance to your neighbours. That's what that tells me that we're looking for and we're craving and we want to go back to at mm -hmm. the end of this. That's where the experience will come in. Mm -hmm. James, anything to add to that? No, I think it's... Um... I definitely agree. Look, we're going to have um, that, that, that. I think both our sectors actually in different ways, but we work we work with our customers and, and, and off that basis of wanting that interaction. You know, and obviously, if, you know, uh, Kate in terms of pubs, obviously lots of other different types of businesses there as well. But that's about spending time somewhere, creating an environment people want to spend time. Yeah. And while we talk a lot about convenience, look, that's that saving time, actually. This sort of, you know, there's a, I mean, if you get it really right, you know, you do both these things, you save someone some time by, um, selling them convenience, and then you can sell it back to them, and they can come and sit and have a coffee on the other side of the side of the shop. But um, but yeah, pe people want that interaction, and they want you know the, the, all those, those daily touch points. I think people will really miss those, and I think that we're also in terms of how we interact in the industry and so on. I think I think you're right. I mean, we're, we're thinking about why we managed to do this that call, and we didn't have to go up to York to do that meeting. Isn't that brilliant? Fantastic. And yeah, to some extent, that's true. But at the same time, you know, there's 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 a happy medium. I think between using tech more and using different type ways of interacting, giving value to people without bringing people to bring people together so much. But you know, we, we run loads of events, and I know Kate does as well. And that's not, those events aren't about the information primarily, they're about the interaction. Mm. And so, you know, I'm sure we'll continue to run loads of events. We might run something a bit differently, and that's an interesting opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's fantastic. Guys, I can't thank you both enough for all of your time. I think that we can all agree that although the two different industries are polarised in their current experience of the coronavirus situation, there's been a lot of great collaboration and there's a lot of link up there. And essentially, both industries are mainly focused on the communities, the people in those communities that they serve, and then the, the staff members and colleague members that, that serve those communities. So there's a lot positive for for the future in my mind so uh, kate from ukh and james from acs thank you both so much for your time thank you thanks katie